to uphold me. Things 
together, Jesus comes to be with them. Matthew 18 verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. singing in a few minutes. Now let's get back to our continuing Bible story from the Bible in Living Sound. But Athaliah, my dear, your father doesn't mind if you marry Jehoram. I understood the arrangements for the wedding weren't made because father objected. No, Jehoshaphat himself objected. You believe in Baal. And Jehoshaphat has been trying to get rid of Baal worship in Judah. Now he's succeeded, and he's afraid you, as the wife of the crown prince, would again establish Baal worship. I might. You would better, my daughter, or all the trouble I've gone to to train you has been for naught. Did father try to get Jehoshaphat to agree to the marriage? I... I don't know. But I'll talk to him again and see.
But Ahab, dear, a union with Judah right now would be advantageous to us. Jehoshaphat will make a great king, powerful, influential, rich. And Jehoram is a fine young man, handsome and intelligent. Don't you think if you tried, you might get Jehoshaphat to agree to the marriage? Oh, if you say so, I'll see what I can do. An alliance was finally made between Israel and Judah. The marriage of Athaliah and Jehoram sealed the alliance. This is a good alliance, Ahab, for us. Why not use it first to regain the city of Ramoth-Gilead from the Syrians? Invite Jehoshaphat to come here on a visit. We will wine and dine him until he can't refuse to help us regain Ramoth. Of course I shall help you regain Ramoth, Ahab. By the terms of our alliance and the marriage of your daughter to my son, are not my people your people, my chariots your chariots, and my horses your horses? Oh, you're a real friend and compatriot, Jehoshaphat. I shall order my general to assemble the army at once. You will do the same. Uh, yes, Ahab, as soon as... Well, I am a firm believer, as you know, in following the will of God. You have here in Israel prophets of God. Why not seek their advice? If they approve of the undertaking, then I shall order my general to assemble my army. Well, it shall be done. Scribe, gather together the 400 prophets and have them appear before us today at the city gate. prophets of the God of Israel. We are, your majesties. His majesty, King of Judah, and I myself desire to know God's will in the matter of regaining Ramoth. Shall we go to battle against Ramoth, or shall we not go? Go up, O king, for the Lord shall deliver it into thine hand. You are a prophet of the true God? We are prophets, your majesty. Um... Ahab, is there not at least one more prophet of God that we might inquire of? Somehow these 400 don't well, seem quite... there is one man, but I... I doubt we want to seek his advice. He... he doesn't respect me. He speaks nothing but evil against me, and I... well, I don't like him. Let not the king of Israel be angry if I insist that we consult this man. Scribe, go and fetch Micaiah, son of Imla, immediately. You are Micaiah, son of Imla. I am. You are to go at once to the city gates where sit Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and Ahab, king of Israel, mm. awaiting your advice concerning war against Syria. Four hundred prophets have already unanimously advised the king to go. May I uh, suggest that you do likewise? Micaiah, shall we go against Ramoth to battle, or shall we forbear? Have not uh, 400 prophets already advised their majesties to go? How many times have I told you to tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord God of Israel? If thou go and fight for Ramoth, O king, the people of Israel shall be scattered upon the hills as sheep without a shepherd, and thou shalt surely be killed. You see, Jehoshaphat, I told you he would say nothing but evil. It is the words of those 400 prophets that speak evil of the king. 
I speak as inspired by the voice of God. Scribe, see that this prophet is put into prison and afflicted until I return from Ramoth in victory and peace. If thou return from Ramoth at all, O king, then hath the Lord not spoken through me. Hearken ye, king of Israel, and listen to the voice Take of... Him away. Oh, that's well, my friend Jehoshaphat, what say you? Go we against Ramoth, or go we not? I have already given my word. We shall go. I'm going to remove these royal clothes and disguise myself as a common soldier, lest the Syrians recognize me and slay me. Then you... you do believe the prophecy of Micaiah? Believe him, I do not. I'm merely taking precautions. I shall be victorious and return to Samaria in triumph and peace. And a certain soldier of the Syrian army, thinking to see how true he was with a bow and arrow, drew his bow and shot at what he thought was an ordinary soldier riding an Israelite chariot. His aim was true. His arrow struck the man between the joints of his armor. Driver, I am sorely wounded. An arrow to turn off and get away from the battle. Oh, oh, armor bearer. Mount the chariot and hold me up, that the enemy know not that I am wounded. And King Ahab died about the going down of the sun, and they buried him in Samaria. General, have your men drive these scavenger dogs away from His Majesty's chariot, and have it washed clean of his blood. This fulfilled the words of the prophet who said, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood. Many years later, as Jehu, new king of Israel, was arriving in the city of Samaria, he saw Jezebel look out an upper window. Oh, up there, Jezebel, evil queen of Ahab. You are about to die. Servants of the queen mother, I command you, push her majesty out the window. Driver, get the chariot moving. Scribe, as I came into the city, the Queen Mother, Jezebel, was killed. Though evil and wicked, she was of royal blood. Give her a decent burial. say there was nothing left of Queen Jezebel to bury except her skull, hands, and feet? A pack of scavenger dogs had already devoured her body, Your Majesty. Thus was fulfilled the word of God which had been spoken through his servant, Elijah. In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, O King Ahab, so shall dogs lick thy blood from off thy chariot. And dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. We'll continue the Bible story tomorrow. And if you would like to have these stories to listen to at home, you can call the Bible in Living Sound at 1-800-634-0234. That's 1-800-634-0234. Now here's some more music before we have to say goodbye.
and be with us tonight for our meeting. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Sam. Okay, whose turn is it to read a favorite Bible text this week? Me, Pastor Prez. Great. Okay, Bible Club members, let's give Rhiannon our full attention again. My text is found in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 19. The book of Proverbs contains wise sayings by King Solomon. Some say he was the wisest man who ever lived. Go ahead and read. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. That's a great text, Rhiannon. What does that say to you? It says that if you tell the truth, those words will always be true. But if you lie, your words are only good for about 30 minutes. Did someone say something untruthful to you recently? Not exactly. I said something untruthful. Really? What happened? Well, my mom asked me if I remember to do something for her. And I said yes, when I really hadn't. Well, later, I had to make up another lie to cover the first one. Each time I said something that wasn't true, I soon had to say something else so that no one would figure out what I'd done. By the end of the day, that one little lie had turned into a bunch of little lies. So I finally told the truth. Boy, that felt good. My lies lasted only a few minutes, but one truth lasted days and days. Solomon sure was right. When I told my mom what I'd done, she was upset with me, but she said she was glad that I learned my lesson. So, Pastor Prez, do you see this tongue? Uh, yes, I do. Well, from now on, you're only going to hear the truth from it. No more lies. That's very good news, Rhiannon. Something we all need to learn. And Rhiannon? Yes? You can put your tongue back in your mouth now. Okay. This program was brought to you by the Children's Ministries Department of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Ms. Kathy, I'm so happy you've joined me today for another story just for you. Do you like visiting museums? Have you ever been in a museum of children's art? What if your museum were showing a collection of paintings of children and one of the pieces was mysteriously missing? That's what happens to Sammy and Ginny in this new shoebox kids mystery. Along the way, Sammy learns that helping others is part of what it means to be a Christian. Chapter 3. Is Anyone Home? So what's this about a missing painting, Chris asked Sammy when the group got together that evening. There's this guy named Sheffield Matheson who is a real famous painter, exclaimed Sammy, and he lived right here in Mill Valley. Of course, this was in the olden days, back before computers or video games or color TV or stuff like that. It was in 1964, said Mrs. Wallace. I was three years old. Wow, that long ago, Chris said? Anyway, his paintings are worth about a zillion bucks each. Not quite that much, Mrs. Wallace corrected. Okay, not that much, but a lot, said Sammy, and one of them is missing. What makes you think we can find it, Willie asked. When did they lose it? They lost it in a fire in 1964, Sammy smiled and folded his arms over his chest, right here in Mill Valley. Oh, right, Chris said. We'll be able to find this painting when the police and everybody else couldn't. How do we know it wasn't burned up in the fire? Because the police said it wasn't, Sammy said. Even though we're meeting tonight to talk about raising money for the museum, somehow I knew this mystery would come up, Mrs. Wallace said, smiling. I first got interested in art because my father collected everything he could about art history, especially things about local art and artists. She reached for a wide green scrapbook and opened it. 
Here's a newspaper article that my father clipped several days after the fire. The shoebox kids crowded around to look as Mrs. Wallace read from the old yellow paper. Mill Valley police continue to investigate the fire that killed artist Sheffield Matheson and destroyed his studio at 1233 Jackson Street. Preliminary reports have concluded that the fire was most likely the result of arson. Arson? What's that? asked Dee Dee. That's when someone sets a fire on purpose, Mrs. Wallace said. But who would set fire to Mr. Matheson's studio? Jenny asked. Mrs. Wallace read on, Mill Valley police are looking for Matheson's son, Berkeley, for questioning regarding the fire. Witnesses state that the relationship between father and son had been strained recently, and the two had been seen arguing violently in public on at least two occasions. Uh-oh, Willie murmured. Mrs. Wallace nodded, then read on. When asked if they thought the missing painting, number 11, in the just-completed children's dozen set, was taken by the son, police investigators had no comment. It doesn't look good for Berkeley, Chris said. Anyway, that's generally what the article says, Mrs. Wallace said, looking up. If I remember right, Matheson had a daughter as well. Hmm. She flipped through the scrapbook some more. Yes, here it is, Emily Matheson. She had just been married two weeks before the fire, and if I recall correctly, the marriage didn't last very long. I wonder whatever happened to her. Mrs. Wallace looked off in the distance as if she were trying to remember something. I wonder if the house is still there, Willie asked. Oh, it's still there, Mrs. Wallace said cheerfully. It was just the studio behind the house that burned down. Then maybe we should check it out tomorrow, Sammy said. Maybe you should, Mrs. Wallace said, but remember that someone probably lives there, so don't go snooping around without permission. That's trespassing, and it's against the law. Now, she said, snapping the scrapbook shut and standing up, we have snacks in the kitchen. Everybody get a plateful, and then let's sit down and talk about making some money for the museum. Mrs. Wallace, I suggest we raise money by collecting things for recycling, Willie said. You know, aluminum cans, newspaper, scrap metal. Don't forget older sisters, Chris added. Maria glared at Chris. Willie, I think that's a good start, Mrs. Wallace said. Let's make a list and see what other ideas we can come up with. The evening ended about an hour later with the shoebox kids agreeing to meet at the Wallaces' house the next morning. Jackson Street was just a few blocks over from the Wallaces, and Mrs. Wallace agreed to come check on them after they had had a chance to talk to whoever lived there. The next morning, a line of bikes left a long trail through the orange and yellow leaves on the sidewalk. Look, Willie called from out in front, my chair leaves two trails. Are you sure this is the place? Didi asked quietly when they stood in front of 1233 Jackson Street. Sammy nodded, pointing to the mailbox with 1233 painted in fading colors on the side. This place is spooky, Willie said, looking up at the big old house. The place looked like it hadn't been painted in 20 years. Windows were broken in the upstairs rooms, and an iron railing for the stairs leaned over to one side. The grass had grown impossibly high, and bushes and trees around the house looked as if they would swallow it whole. I don't think anyone lives here anymore, Maria said. It looks abandoned. Chris shook his head slowly. No, someone lives here all right. It's Mrs. Sheckley. Remember her, Maria? She's the one who threw a pail of water on those kids who were trick-or-treating around here last Halloween. Maria nodded slowly. This lady is spooky, Chris said. She never talks to anyone on the street, and if you ever hear her say anything, it's because she's mumbling to herself. Chris lowered his head and rumbled under his breath. No one said anything after that for a long while. Finally, Sammy got up his courage. Well, spooky or not, someone should go up to the door and see if she's home. 
He looked at the others, who in turn looked back at him. It's your mystery, Sammy, Willie said. Sammy looked around him. Jenny, you'll come with me, won't you? he asked. Jenny hesitated, then said, Sure, we're in this together. Although it was ten o'clock on a brisk fall morning, Jenny felt warm. I'm just nervous, she thought, and pulled off her sweater. She followed Sammy up the creaky front stairs while the other shoebox kids watched from the walkway in front of the house. Well, what now? Sammy asked as the two of them paused in front of the door. A big no salesman sign was tacked to the wall. Jenny noticed that the doorbell had been yanked out and only bare wire showed in its place. I guess we knocked, she said, shrugging her shoulders. Sammy pulled the screen door open and knocked once quietly. After a few seconds, he tried again, more loudly. No answer. I guess no one is home, Sammy said to the others. Maybe Mrs. Sheckley is out back, Chris said. He peered down the gravel driveway, then bent down to put up the kickstand on his bike. Chris, Mrs. Wallace said not to trespass, Maria said. I'm not going to trespass, Chris said as he walked down the driveway. I'm just going to see if she's in her backyard. Chris disappeared around the corner of the house. After a few seconds, they heard him call. Hey, guys, come look at this. I'm not so sure about this, Jenny said as the others disappeared down the driveway and around the corner of the house. Sammy, she added with a quivering voice, let's stay up here and wait for them to come back. I'm sure they're all right, Sammy said. After all, they just went around the... Sammy was interrupted by a scream from Dee Dee. A second later, Willie, Chris, Dee Dee, and Maria came charging back down the driveway. What was it, Sammy asked. No one answered. Chris, Maria, and Dee Dee jumped on their bikes and started down the street after Willie, who had a head start on them. Realizing they were being left behind, Jenny and Sammy ran to their bikes. What was it? Sammy yelled after them. The story you have heard today is a chapter of The Shoebox Kids, Book 5, The Broken Dozen Mystery, written by Glenn Robinson, edited and created by Jerry D. Thomas, and used with permission from the Pacific Press Publishing Association. If you're interested in any other books published by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, please visit AdventistBookCenter.com or call 1-800-765-6955. This podcast is a production of the Carolina Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Let the children come. Don't dare drive them away. And then the kingdom comes. Hear the holy foolish things they say. The springtime of their life decides the adults they'll become. So let the children come. Let the children come. Children's Bible Journey was brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio and is a production of Life Talk Radio at lifetalk.net.